0: And he creates his own offensive chance with that motor. Preachie to Coyle. and oh! the Leafs are mulched again.
1: Hello there, and welcome to the Neston Bruins podcast on Neston.com. It's Mike Cole joined once again, and as always, by Logan Mullen and Lauren Campbell. Guys, how are we doing? Good. Good. I mean, it'd be there's really no other answer. I, I that is just perfunctory. Like it'd be awesome for you guys. are just like, yeah, hey, miserable. This sucks. I hate talking. <laughs> just to you start
0: unburdening. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you asked. I mean yeah. <laughs> Um. So we're here to talk about the Bruins, not our lives. Uh, I think people probably pr- prefer it that way. Uh, quite a bit to get into. Um, we'll kind of just do a quick recap of the last week and, and kind of see where we're stand uh, with a few conversations that we had last week about the, the defense corps and just how that kind of played out <laughs> over the last week. Um, later on Logan and you and I, uh, we'll get a chance to talk with, uh, Neston's betting expert, Sam Penny about, uh, all things Bruins bets. Um, some interesting stuff going on right now in the market with the Bruins, not only is the Stanley cup, uh, futures, but their, their player futures in terms of awards and things like that. Um, so we'll, 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 chat with Sam a little bit later about that as well. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, you know, like I said, a quick recap of the last week, kind of up and down for the Bruins and kind of, um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And a lot of <laughs> ugly. A lot of uh, ugly. What's that? A lot of ugly. Yeah, and they're swing through New York. Things did not go very well, uh, starting with just an absolute bludgeoning uh, in the third period against the Islanders. That gave way to another bludgeoning at Madison Square Garden uh, on Friday night. And the Bruins did bounce back nicely um, with a Sunday afternoon uh, win in a game that they looked really good. Like, I know that they won that game going away. It kind of is, you know, in the midst of a, a handful of losses. But I thought that was maybe one of their better games of the season. But uh, the thing I wanted to kind of start with is, I might have been wrong about the defensive depth because <laughs> where they gave up what 15 goals since the last time we talked. Uh, it, all of them felt like they came in the third period or the first couple of few uh, couple of periods uh, against the Rangers. I don't know. Like I think this is. I, I'm still gonna kinda stand my ground. I know it's kinda tough right now when Zadano Chara comes in and looks pretty good in his return to the, to Boston, but I don't completely regret anything I said last week. I think this is just kind of a funk. I think you're gonna start seeing even you mean we even saw it Wednesday night, they looked much better defensively as they start to get healthy again. So I'm not ready to push any sort of panic buttons regarding the team as a whole or the defensive situation. Um, what say you why don't we start with Logan? Well, this is why I never like
0: having podcasts where the three of us just fall all over ourselves talking about how great the Bruins are. I know. Because then you get six days later and we look like a bunch of chuckleheads heads um, because they give up a thousand goals against the Rangers and Islanders. Um, I don't know. I mean, this is going to happen eventually, right? This happens to every team. Like it's, it's not, the fact that they rebounded the way they did Sunday against the Rangers is probably what, would give me hope if I were a Bruins fan. Like, teams lay eggs. Teams very, not as often lay eggs on back-to-back nights. uh, Attribute that to whatever you want. I think the losses in New York were more an effort thing um, than like a skill thing. Like, I, I don't look at what happened against the Rangers and Islanders and think that, you know, Uro Vakanainen belongs in the AHL for the rest of his career i think he was and i mean while we're doing mea culpas i thought you know what trot him out on the top pairing you know baptism by fire all that crap um i I was wrong he's not ready for it which is fine um you know in practice thursday which is today um you know he was skating with tenorty on the third pairing um you know that maybe that is just his lot in life right now um I think there is a bigger conversation to be had about the defensive depth. I don't think it's all tied into their decision not to bring Chara back, Uh, but the fact that they rebounded, they played, you know, last night's game against the Capitals was a little boring, but by and large they played hard enough. Like they didn't roll over and the way they responded Sunday, I thought was fine. So two ugly losses, the timing wasn't great, but you know, nothing I personally would be sweating over that much.
2: Yeah, I still think it's too early to panic, especially over the defense. I mean, we knew that the depth was there. We just didn't know how good it was and how deep it really is. And this is the time to do it. Um, so we're seeing kind of a mix of everything with Grizzlick, Miller. Feel like everyone is out right now. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, they responded well. Again, you know, you're throwing the, the younger guys in there. They need to figure out where they fit, where they mesh well, where they don't and what works and what doesn't. And we'll probably see that more as the games go on um, and as players continue to come back. And I'm sure they're not going to rush Miller back by any means, but I don't think there's any reason to panic. We, like I said, we know the depth is there and it's just a matter of figuring out who fits where and if these if these kids really don't fit in with this team.
0: They're so much better with Grizzlyk
2: it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's night
0: and day. Like that was so, I, I think it's easy to, because he's not like people liken him to Tory Krug too much because he's small and a puck mover. Like they're different players. So I think it can be easy to write him off sometimes because he doesn't put up huge numbers, but like even watching against the capitals, like there's so much more structured when he's around and like just the complexion of the offense from the blue line and like the power play, it's just miles better when he's available.
1: Yeah. It doesn't like, it's not just, you know, it's not just defensive or it's not just like he, he, sorry, it was computers acting out. Um It's his defensive contributions, contributions aren't just what he does in front of the net. Like, I think it's, and that was, this is, and I think he is similar to Krug in this regard where like Krug got knocked rightfully so, at least especially early in his career for not being a very good stay at home defender. And that's just, I mean, sure. It's not his game, but like, there's something to be said for like skating the puck out of trouble once you get into trouble. And I think that's something where, and this is, I mean, go back to the cup final. I know this is going to be like Matt Chris like, greatest accomplishment until he finally breaks through and does something else. But like, the greatest thing about his career so far I was like yeah remember how bad they were without him in in 19 so thing with
0: Miller too
1: sure yeah right um I don't know if I have as much optimism as you do Lauren regarding Kevin Miller like I don't know just guy can't buy a break no pun intended and like it's (laughs) it's just it's it's a bummer because like I I mean, Logan, what's the latest on Miller? Like, it just doesn't feel In like the it's... Day, there is no latest. Right. And that's never good. Yeah. Right. Like,
2: what concerned mm-hmm. me the most is that I think it was after the Tahoe game or after the, the game after the Tahoe game, Bruce Cassidy said that Miller's health took a turn, but didn't. Right. I'm yeah. Concerned about it. But I was like, your health taking a turn when you have a twice broken kneecap certainly sounds like I should be concerned. But I mean, I don't know if this is just going to be another Kasha thing where it's just like, no update, day to day, whatever. And he just disappears for a month
1: kind of need your legs to play hockey, too.
0: Yes. Yeah,
2: important. It
1: is tough, too, because, like, I,
0: I don't know. I feel like Kevin Miller has become such a polarizing topic because of the fact that they signed him the, the day free agency opened. But, like, I think he's somewhere in the middle where, like, it's, there are some people that are like, oh, my God, this guy, like, really rebound, like, career revival. And then there are some people who's like, he's a traffic cone. I think he's somewhere in the middle. But I don't know. I mean, it it hurts from a depth perspective, right? Because you could do a lot worse than Kevin Miller. Um, But just, yeah, the ambiguity around it. And and like Lauren said, the same thing with Kasha. Like, when there's no updates at all, that is never good. Like, I think the only thing that we've heard is he was in for off-ice workouts at some point.
1: And the thing is, like, I've kind of defended Kevin Miller especially recently I think I defended Kevin Miller more so as a response to people who annoy me on Twitter which is Mm -hmm. that's a tough way to live that is and that's the only way I live is I end up finding myself taking positions just to you know go after people who I don't even like I don't have any personal connection to Kevin Miller I don't really care about Kevin Miller from a you know a deeper personal standpoint like i don't know why i'm allowing strangers on the internet to back me into a corner where i have to defend kevin miller (laughs) now like i get up from the couch i will say um (laughs) i i i I think he was pretty good like that's what's the the bummer for his situation and that that would be my retort to those people is like well he actually played pretty well when he was healthy problem is is like you get what you get when you, you know, you're dealing with a guy who's had the injury history that he does trying to come back from the injuries that he has come back from. So if you want to criticize the move, I think it's, they signed a guy with broken knees and not necessarily they signed a guy with the, the talent level of Kevin Miller. Cause like, if he gets back and he's healthy, it's a great, you know, I think that's a pretty good depth defenseman problem is, is like that is the biggest if that they're dealing with right now. And I mean, that's no guarantee that he's even going to come back. Like that's how pessimistic I feel about his like health right now. So. I don't know without knowing anything more than
0: well you just don't know right like right. this this happened in 2019 where it was like at first they didn't rule him out if I remember correctly they didn't rule him out for the entire Toronto series right. and then they got like close to the end and they were like "Ah, oh, yeah he's probably not going to be back and then it wasn't until like the Columbus series that they're like yeah we're probably not getting Kevin Miller back uh, it just dragged on for a while. And it, generally no news is good news but it's the complete opposite in this circumstance like until you hear he hit the ice again it's kind of you know pins and needles
2: especially with knee injuries too I mean we've seen knee injuries in all different kinds of sports just end the careers of younger athletes or, or athletes in their prime and just kind of slow them down and I mean he broke his kneecap twice in different directions so <laughs> yeah. no matter how many surgeries he has no matter. How many, how many times he can try to PT and recover. There's always going to be trust issues in that knee. There's always going to be lingering pain, lingering issues. And I just feel like one small little tweak can just blow out his whole knee.
1: It's a, I mean, it's a physically demanding role at a physically demanding position in a yeah. physically demanding sport. Like, he's kind of going uphill there. I guess that provides us to a natural transi- transition to what they did this past week, as they claimed Jared Tenorti off of waivers. Um, the irony is not lost on me that they claimed Tenorti, a big-bodied stay-at-home <laughs> defenseman, two days before Zdeno Chara returned. Uh, like I said, that is not the irony is lo- not lost on me. Um, I also think that kind of speaks to where they feel they are with the defense situation as well. And this is – you add up all of this, and this is why I'm starting to feel like maybe my take last week wasn't as good as I thought it was because, you know, as soon as the Bruins are going out there and claiming guys like Jared Tenorti off of waivers and they're in seemingly every trade discussion or at least just sniffing around when it comes to defensemen, you know, that's like they feel like they've got to not fix it, but at least add to it. So, um, I don't know. There's not a whole lot to, to say on Tenorti. Like he, he de- debuted Wednesday night. I thought he looked he looked like what he's been his entire career. I don't know. Yeah
0: which is fine. Like that. I don't know what people expect. Like, yeah, you got the guy off waivers and and that happens. And like, I think you might be a a little more cynical than I am about the depth situation. Mike, because my thing is like, they were dealing with an extreme circumstance of like the amount of injuries that they were dealing with. Like, but they, Zabor wasn't doing good. Miller was out. Lozon was out grizzly
1: was not it. a whole lot though i would my only pushback is like not a ton has changed in the last three days or whatever like no i mean you know they, what i mean they, like it wasn't like they lost one of those guys for the year like the situation hasn't completely or fundamentally changed in the last week
0: it, it hasn't and it probably won't until the end of the month if Lozon's back right like that's kind of the the wild card and all this the thing with Tenorti is and this is not intended to sound as bad as it probably will but like the best situation for him is he doesn't play right like he is best served as a healthy scratch and it's not complete nuclear blow it up situation if he is playing but like yeah they they i think they learned with miller that they don't want to be lacking in terms of size and physicality in the back
1: end if i could just interrupt real quick i was just making this point as i was thinking I, I also think they probably realized that your whole Vaknin is not the first pairing defenseman that you thought he was either, and so now, you yeah. know what I mean. Like, if it gets to a point where they get healthy again, and then they hit another rash of injuries, like they probably don't want back in nine and playing big minutes. Until yeah,
0: well, end. well, and I think part of the the logic there too also is like Tenordi gives you a different look. Like, if you look at their spare defense, sure, that is fair. We yeah. Camp for more and Clifton. I think they were realizing that if Miller's not available long term, you're going to run into a situation where if you're down a few guys and you're playing Washington, for example, like you're probably better off playing Tenorti as your extra than John Moore, right? You
1: they're getting pushed around though? Yeah.
0: Well, and that was the thing against the Islanders. That was something that Cassie kept pointing out is that Vakanina was getting just manipulated in front of the net because he was dealing with like Anders Lee um and so it's like you know that might happen to a 22 year old euro vaca nine it's not going to happen to 6'6, 230 jared Tenorti for the other shortcomings in his game so i think they when they made that claim first of all not a cap crippling move right he's making the minimum um if you have to send him down he, he might pass through i think he already passed through waivers earlier this year um and you know you, you at least provide yourself with a little bit of nhl caliber depth
2: yeah I think it was just it wasn't like a, a move that's gonna make a huge difference he was fine yesterday it's not like he really stood out um you know he wasn't making giant plays he wasn't like catching my eye by any means but that's exactly what he is he's third pairing defenseman like you said best served as a healthy scratch because well that means everyone's healthy in that point but just to have another big body have someone who's a little more physical Definitely helps, but he's. I don't think he's any sort of like major difference maker going forward.
1: Yeah, I saw cassie say they play a similar style as Nashville. So, like, there's not a whole lot of worry about the the integration and things like that. So, yeah, uh, Lauren, to your point, like, I noticed him Wednesday night just because I was trying to watch for him. But, like, if I don't notice him again the rest of the year, then that's a pretty positive development for him, um, considering the role. Uh, changing gears uh, again, in I mean, it's trade season. Like we're in the deadline is just a few weeks away. Um, this is one of the best times of year, and we'll really kind of hammer this down a little bit more going forward. The the deadline is twenty fifth. I... That sounds right. I think so. Um, so that would be three weeks from today. So I'm already just planning the show, and uh, while doing the show, maybe we'll do a quick recap right as it happens. We'll mix in a preview somewhere, but it's time to really start getting on our radar. Uh, I guess we'll start with the big one, Jack Eichel. Might be on the, you know, just things have not gone well in Buffalo, um, which is surprise, surprise. Uh, you know they are. It, it might be in you know time for another fire sale, and, and Eichel is probably the most valuable asset they have. I mean he is the most valuable asset they have. Uh, I know the Athletics. Fluto Shinzawa talked about the Bruins uh, connected to to Eichel. You know, quoting. Um, oh, trade deadline is not till April. March twenty fifth is the NBA. Oh, this yeah. is, that is the, the price of doing business when you're a, a cranker on the internet. Um, <laughs> you know, you just get dates mixed up when you're, you, you you're multi-talented, uh, multi-faceted uh, talented people like we, you know, sometimes you're going to you get your wires crossed. Um. Anyway, so trade deadline April 12th, got a ways to go. But like I said, Eichel in the discussions, uh, Fluto talking about the, you know, executives saying it would make sense for the Bruins. I don't see how they make it happen, especially in season. Maybe I'm an idiot. Either one of you guys want to talk me out of that take? No.
2: No. <laughs>
0: All right. I mean, the thing is, is, like, it, there's no way you're making that deal without getting worse in some capacity. Like, I've seen the people saying that I would start with, like, Pasternak or McAvoy. That alone, I'm hanging up the
1: phone. Uh, Who would you rather have, like, for the next five years, Posternock or Michael?
0: Pasternak.
1: yeah. So, like, why would yeah?
0: Like, and I'd rather I, have Eichel. I am like, just too. trying to make
1: sure I'm not being a Homer and saying, "Look, I think Pasternak's better than Eichel." Like, I don't. Yeah, I
0: mean, the, I guess the one argument you could make is that it's tougher to get like All really around. good centers right, than yeah. really good wingers. Um, but like, I've I've cornered myself into the take that they're just clearing the decks for alexander barkov this offseason and free agency um but like i don't know this might be really stupid but i'd rather have david crechey at seven million than jack eichel at 10 or 11 or whatever he's getting um especially when you would have to part with like really really valuable assets uh, maybe it's a different conversation if the price goes down and things are like really unfixable in buffalo but I don't know. It just, the cost would be way too prohibitive for me.
2: Yeah. I, there's no denying he's a talented player, but to give up somebody like Poshnok, like McAvoy just wouldn't be worth it because then what does that do to your team then without either of those players, even if you just take one of them out of the equation, it's a totally different team. Um, And it's just not worth trying to, of course he'll boost your team, but like Logan said, you're going to get worse if you have to give up somebody of a Poshnock or McAvoy caliber. Of course, it's worth just seeing what's out there, like what kind of offers you can field and what, what he's worth. But I think there's going to be a team out there that will probably do some stupid amount of prospects and higher end players to get him. But I think the Bruins just stay far away unless something goes terribly wrong and they just cannot get rid of him. There's
0: no natural fit either for him right no. now. Like, like, what would they do? Because then you're probably, like, if you don't part with any of your current centers, then he's what your second or third line center, right? And you probably move Coil to the wing. Yeah, move. Yeah, no. And, and you just took away a guy
1: who almost scored fifty goals last year. I would make oh. Eichel your first line center. Really? So you're on your second line, Coil your third line. That'd be a sick. Top. Can Eichel play the wing? Yeah, I was just going to ask you that. Could you do could you do Marshawn,
0: Bergeron, Eichel? Because oh,
1: man. <laughs>
0: perhaps I could talk myself into that. But.
1: No, but, like, you – because it just makes no sense because you know what you have in that top line already. Like, it's the best line in hockey. Why or, would you disrupt it? Right. It's just yeah. – it feels like a, a, a trade for a trade's sake. I don't get it. Um, also, like, I don't know if the, the Sabres would want to trade them within the division, like, fake division and real division. Yeah. And I also – don't know why the Bruins then would want to give up a valuable asset, controlled asset within the vision as well to help a team in the midst of a rebuild that can't get out of its own way. Um, if you want to talk Sabres, like I'll have the Taylor Hall discussion again. I won't. Like <laughs> I, I, I'm i open to that. Like if you're going to do anything, if you, if you're going to make a trade to make a trade, like you really want to, you know, upset the apple cart and go nuts. I'd rather do Hall than ben Eichel.
0: See, the Hall thing, and this was my same thing with him in free agency, is the name at this point is better than the reality. Like, and it's tough because Buffalo sucks, right? Yeah. So it's like, how bad is Taylor Hall versus how bad mm-hmm. is his actual situation? But, like, I don't know, whatever. It would. I know he's on an expiring contract and all that jazz, but I would be incredibly reticent to trade for him, given, like, imagine if you have to give up a Rick Nash type haul, like what they did in 2018 for Rick Nash. Are you doing that for Taylor Hall the way he played this year? Because I would not be.
1: Yeah. Well, they did it for Rick Nash.
0: <laughs> yeah, but, like, the Rick Nash thing, we don't have to go down this rabbit hole, but, like, I like Rick Nash. I, and the I like Rick that. Nash thing, it, yeah. it didn't work out because he got hurt. Like it didn't hurt, out, what, hurt yeah, him because he was ineffective.
1: It's, maybe this is wrong. I think objectively the Hall's ceiling right now is much higher than Nash's was at that point in his career.
0: I suppose so. But he's also like, I don't know, pure rental, big contract, definitely walking. Like how much do you want to give up?
1: I don't know. Uh, the price has to be right. I just think it fits better. You know, you don't have to give up as much. I don't know.
0: Without trading players currently on the roster –
1: there are certain
0: players currently on the roster I would trade um, if it netted Taylor Hall in return, but I don't know if it would be enough.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: TSA, I'm just not sold on Taylor Hall anymore.
1: What's that? You are not.
2: I'm just not sold on Taylor Hall anymore. Like, no, not- I think
1: it's. I mean, that's a very fine take to have. I just, <laughs> I would, I'm, I'm betting on buying relatively low relative to expectations. I don't know. Yeah. I mean,
0: I don't know. You you have to get Buffalo to retain salary too, right? Yeah. Like that. That becomes a complicated transaction.
1: No, but yeah, but there's a first round pick in there, and you know, a couple probably, but we make it work. We make (laughs) it work. Trade bait's out. We can get in a little bit more. We're kind of running low on time. Uh, Any any names on that list really catch your eye, Logan? You still on Matthias Eckholm?
0: I am still kind of on Matthias Eckholm Because that one is like a long-term fix too Like that's someone I would actually give up like a legitimate haul for Because I think that's somebody who helps you this year and next At a relatively minimal figure I also, you want to talk about potentially spicy takes I think I'm ready to reopen the Oliver ekman Larson chatter. Oh dear <laughs> I, I think I would be ready to revisit that Is he on the market? I don't know Um, but like the Coyotes cap situation is still a disaster. Um, you know, that he would go to the Bruins. I don't know. I I would think about it. Like, again, price has to be right. That's a, that is a big ticket coming to whichever team acquires them. But I think after what we've learned this year, like I can definitely, especially if you're going to run the possibility of losing a defenseman, in the expansion draft. Like, I don't know, you could do a lot worse on your left side. Like, we've been talking about the depth on defense. Probably feeling a lot better if you've got ekman Larson with McAvoy, Grizzlik with um, Carlo, and then Zaboro or Lozon as your third pairing guy. So that's just, you know, after seeing the, – the OEL talk it didn't make a ton of sense to me back in October. Knowing what we have now, though, um, like what we've seen – I would be a bit more amenable to revisiting that discussion, perhaps on a later date.
2: Sure. Um, I, th- I think he definitely fits. I'll just say that. like I think he definitely fits yeah. better than what I originally thought, but I think there's more more of a fit for him now than I did at the beginning when I first started podcasting with you guys.
1: Uh, Logan, that magical any moment. moment. Any that magical Brandon time Montour. in history. Any Brandon Montour
0: takes this week, Logan? No, I my wires got crossed, and you know what it was? It was because I read something that named him as a center, and I was like, I thought I was wrong, and then that just got like crossed in the back of my head.
1: Um, wow! So
0: you're not getting yeah. any Brandon Montour. Takes you had a
1: whole week to to come up with a good excuse, and you just blamed it on somebody else. That's impressive. Yeah. yeah. The good news is, is I don't think you'll say anything stupid in our Sam Panionovich. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm on a tough
0: stretch, man. I. Uh, uh, th- there was an actual question tucked in there that I was trying to ask, but talking about wires getting crossed. I just lost it. So maybe we can get Mark to cut out the end of that.
1: I don't think so. Um, <laughs> all right, I think that's it for us this week. Uh, as, as mentioned earlier, and, and as mentioned right now, uh, we've got Nessun's betting expert, Sam Panionovich, on discuss uh, Bruins futures, both uh, with the team and the players. Uh, so enjoy that. And uh, we'll catch you again next week. Goodbye. Now we welcome in Nesson betting analyst, Sam Uh He's been here for, 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 for a long time now. It feels like, and I think I, I have nailed his, his name, Sam. How are you?
3: Michael. Good to see you, Logan. How do you do? I'm, I'm looking at these odds for the uh, bees, you know, numbers really haven't changed all that much i mean some of the books have gone up a little bit but it's still a respected hockey team i mean just because they have a tough slide it doesn't make them all of a sudden 50 to 1 to win the stanley cup although i do get that question a lot at work what's the number now that would be sick you know it's wild people people don't realize how the markets work i would
1: take a nibble on that um bruins are five four and one the last 10 obviously as you mentioned just a little bit of a slide lately um you know, it's a tough division. They, they banked a lot of points early in the season. Um, I guess for the, the uninformed out there, why don't you kind of flesh that out a little bit and why those odds haven't changed dramatically, what they actually represent and how that kind of reflects on on where the Bruins are, where they could be.
3: Well, there are five teams in the National Hockey League right now that the bookmakers really respect a lot. You're talking about Tampa, Colorado, Toronto, Vegas, and Boston. And that's pretty much been the top five all year long. But these numbers, you know, if the Bruins win six in a row, their odds shorten. If they have a tough stretch, they go down a bit. But the baseline for all these teams – is around six or seven to one. The bees were five to one in Vegas a week ago. Some of the books have seven now. So there really isn't a drastic shift and it is hockey. It's tough to win this Stanley Cup. We know that. I think the bees are one of the best five teams in the league, but it's not going to go back to 15 or 20 to one unless it's clear that the Bruins aren't going to make the playoffs because the books are already liable. Like People have already bet the Bruins at 10 and nine and eight and seven down to five. So there's already money in the kitty and the books are responsible for that. If they do win the Stanley Cup. So you can't make it too enticing because they're trying to write money in other places.
1: And at what points in the season do you invest?
3: I would do it right now at DraftKings. I mean, well, I mean I just it, generally
1: speaking, like what, how, how do you attack it? I mean, with the Bruins right now, I mean, what is, you know, it, it is what it is, but like, how does the evolving futures market, how does, how do you kind of look at that and where do you strike? Just I think of, it's a
3: buy low, sell high market. I, I think it's important to look at the right price at the right time. It's better to bet the Bruins after a slide like this than it is to bet them after they've won eight in a row, because everybody around the country is like, Oh, I'll bet the Bruins. You know, like They're hot right now. When you bet them then though, it's five or six to one, but you look up at the board right now, FanDuel has an eight to one. DraftKings has plus 1150. The Capitals have gotten closer at DraftKings because the Capitals won a hockey game on a Wednesday night. Like it's, it's very fluid. This stuff changes all the time, but I think you're better to buy the dip. Isn't that what Warren Buffett said? Buy the dip. <laughs> DraftKings has 1150 right now. So hundred makes you 1150. That hundred only made you like seven or 800 last week. So this is a good buy point.
1: Is there, I mean, there's no way to justify. Just thinking about it right now, like, what is the, what's the lowest point or the worst odds that you would place a, a futures bet in the NHL? It just feels like there's absolutely no value whatsoever in like a 6-1 to one bet, considering how hard it is to win the Stanley Cup.
3: I think if you're looking for a sleeper, you know, you're looking like 20 or 30 to 1. Right. You know, I come from Chicago. Depending on what you look at the Blackhawks numbers, you can <laughs> find them at 50. You can find them at 150. It, it really comes down to what the specific house views on the team because you know if you're if it's a football game let's say it's the packers against the titans all these books are going to be pretty similar it's like all right the packers are a four-point favorite or a five-point favorite you're not going to have this random you know 10 on the betting board you have to be close to market with the day-to-day stuff but the futures they like to take a stand with the numbers so a different book might feel strongly about the Bruins. The one around the corner might not like them at all. So you can see differentiation in the future market. But yeah, I mean, if you're looking for a team, you know, we've seen how many seven and eight seeds in the Stanley Cup playoffs go to the Stanley Cup final. And at that point, honestly, like, don't think of it as this team 30 or 40 to one has to win the cup. If they get into the playoffs and make a deep run, that number will continuously drop. So you don't even have to have them win at 40 to one or so if they get into the final or get into the final four for that matter, that price is locked in at 40 and then you could hedge and bet every other team or bet, well, you do whatever you want. You get creative. It's like just having a stock at the right time.
1: Um, There's some
0: odds all over the place. Like well, now, and now, now you have me down the rabbit hole. Of, yeah. Like, Cause uh, I get that the NHL, like, I don't know. The odds makers like those five teams that you mentioned, but like I'm going up and down the list of the, DraftKings sports book and it's like you know they have what is this capitals at 20 to 1
1: i got like, capitals at, the capitals and islanders at 20 to 1 which yeah. is absurd they have the blues at 24 to 1 the
0: stars at 32 to 1 like i i and who's the oh the minnesota wild who have been boat racing teams they're also 20 to 1 so it's like i don't know i guess my question for you sam would be how much benefit is there to, like you just mentioned getting creative, but how much benefit is there to kind of going against the grain and not just betting on the top five teams and taking more of a shot with, you know, a, a Minnesota or a Washington or a Philly too. A Philly is another one that's down there a little.
3: Yeah, I mean, the odds say that it's a bad bet, but the odds are wrong all the time. You know, Mike Tyson <laughs> at one point against Buster Douglas was minus 4,200. You know, like that, that's a huge, that's a huge number. And, you know, he gets upsets, the, the largest upset of all time, 42 to one. They made a documentary about it. Um, you know, the year the Blues won the Stanley Cup when they got hot with Bennington, yeah. there was a point in time when they were like 200 to one midseason. You know, I mean, the bookmakers wrote them off. So, you know, sometimes in hockey, you know, the right team, the right goalie can get hot. We've seen it, you know, time and time again. Was it Jaguar for the Ducks? Weren't they an eight seed? And I think yeah. they went all the way to the Stanley Cup final one year. If you bet a team at 100-1, to Logan, and they get to the Stanley Cup final, you literally have 100-1 to on one side, and you could just bet a whole lot of money on the other side, and then you can't lose. Like, right. that's your hope if you're playing a long shot. I don't think you think they could win the Cup, but if they go far enough, you can piece parts of those uh, parts of that ticket off and better than other teams and and come up either way.
0: How do you think the, the markets will move as the season goes on? Because like now you have me thinking with the blues example, because it was like January 1st when they were the worst team in the NHL, but now you've got a 56 game season. And so like, do you think the lines will move that much because there's less wiggle room now? Or like, what's that kind of shaken out to be so far?
3: Well, I mean, it depends on the team again. Like, I think once we kind of finalize who's in and who's out, obviously the odds will go astronomically high on the bad teams. They'll be 8 million to one, or they'll be off the board. You just can't bet them anymore. And the teams that are clear contenders, you know, we're going to probably figure this out. I'd say by, I don't know, March 20th, March 21st, we'll have a pretty good idea of who the best four or best three teams in the league are. They're going to have the lowest odds. And then you'll just have like tiers like, all right, here's the best two or three teams. Here's the four teams below them. And you're going to be in that range of like five to one, 10 to one, 15-ish to one. I mean, that's going to be the tiered level. So it's not going to change all that much. I think it stays close to the middle um, but teams can certainly play themselves out with poor performance. It's not like good teams that have a tough stretch are cooked because there's already that liability. People have already bet them. So, you know, if the Vegas Golden Knights lose five games in a row, they're not going to go from five to one to 30 to one. Like they might go to six or 650. It's not going to change that much for teams that Vegas believes in.
1: This is a worthwhile conversation to revisit in two months on the playoff start as well. They kind of, you know, we can tackle it from there. Um, once we're down to 16, uh, let's shift gears a little bit to player, uh, props, um, awards, uh, you know, Sam, what do you like, what do you, from a Bruin standpoint, what, uh, stands out to you? Um, there's a few that we've kind of discussed in the past, but, uh, why don't you give us a, a, your take, um, from a high level perspective?
3: Well, I mean, the biggest mover in the individual player market is not something that I thought before the year. I mean, Logan and I had actually talked like, you know, to win the Vezina, Rask doesn't have a bad number. At that point, he was like 12 or 14 to one. And I was like, hey, well, I respect Rask. I think he's a really good goalie. You know, he's had his ups and downs like all goalies do. But the one player I would have never bet on, and this is not a knock on the kid. I just I would have never even thought to bet Charlie McAvoy to win the Norris Trophy. You know, like I thought there was a lot to fill there on the blue line. And I think a lot of people in Boston thought that as well. Like they were going to be screwed on the blue line without Chara and Krug and, and McAvoy, if you look at some of his, you know, advanced analytics, he's one of the best players in hockey, according to a lot of the metrics. So Charlie McAvoy to win the Norris trophy right now is six to one. I believe before the year he was around 15 or 20. So his strong play, the Bruins hot start those parlay together to make a stock on McAvoy go extremely high. And when the stock goes high, you know, the price goes down. Like that hundred dollars made you two grand before the year. Now it makes you six um, consensus favorite is Cole McCart from the avalanche. So he's about two to one, but there's not much separation between McCarr and McAvoy who's now six to one to be the best defenseman in hockey. And that's really, you know, that should be a patch of honor for the organization for being able to continuously develop young defensemen. Charlie's gotten a lot of money, but he's also played very well.
0: See, that's why I don't get the McAvoy thing because I get like, I don't know, maybe this is just, I wouldn't be a good better because I look at things a little differently because I look at Kill McCarr and he's playing with Devon Taves, who's like a legitimate top pairing defenseman. Meanwhile, McAvoy has been like who's he played with so far this year it's been mostly Lozon he's played with Zaboral and he's played with Vakanainen and maybe like a few shifts with Matt Grizzly and it's like and I don't know it, voting for this stuff is so unpredictable but it's like that was the one that kind of shocked me the most. My preseason pick was Miro Haskinen, and I don't think that one's going to pan out
3: now. He's not he's, even on the board right now, but yeah, to, he's to your defense, I mean, this is one of the hardest awards to peg because it's it's one of those ones that's voted on, right? You can't really quantify, you know, like for the for the uh, Richard Trophy. Like we know who's going to win that because a player will have the most goals. Right. It, it's, it's a voting award, so it makes it hard. A lot like the MVP, you know, the Hart Trophy in the NHL, but uh, Victor Hedman's another guy He's about five to one. And anytime Tampa's good, Tampa gets a lot of love from the media. So I think Hedman's a guy too. You know, you talk about stealing votes, uh, but the betting order right now, McCarr, Hedman and McAvoy, at least at FanDuel.
1: Um, It's also impossible. The Norris is like, it, I mean, God bless you if you bet on it, but like, there's no real defined (laughs) criteria like there, you know, like it's not, some people value offense more than they probably should, and even though it's a defensive award, like there was a story in ESPN earlier this week where they talked about, I think it was, uh, McAvoy has at least one point in eleven of nineteen games this season that was entering the the Wednesday night game. Uh, the Bruins have won nine of those eleven games in which he he registers a point, and then it got into a whole thing about points per game and per offensive production and how that sways voters which seems kind of backwards when you're talking about a defenseman but I mean that's neither here nor there like I was always just like auto bet Shea Weber every year and that didn't
0: like, that's uh, I gripe about the Norris voting all the time because it's like you know Roman Yossi should have won last year which he did but like John Carlson was second and John Carlson is an inept defensive defenseman like he puts (laughs) up a crap load of points but if you're talking like even all around defenseman he has no business being in that conversation so yeah you would never catch me voting on that because i have no clue what the metric is
3: well and then you have some awards like all right the mvp i think people take the mvp extremely seriously and a lot of times the mvp is correlated with you know, team success, how's the team playing great player on a pretty good team, but I think they can get a little creative with the other trophies, the ancillary ones, not to say that the Norris isn't the MVP, but it's not. I mean, the MVP holds more weight than the Norris. There was a year Duncan Keith won the Norris and he was better than two previous years, like statistically, but sometimes it's a past performance award. Sometimes it's like, all right, he deserved one last year. We'll give it to him this year. So there are some, some dart, uh, some darts, I guess, thrown on some of these awards. That's for sure.
1: Uh, so we talked about five or six teams that are heads and head and shoulders above the rest at least when in the betting market um and you just mentioned the MVP the heart trophy what's what does what does the top of that table look like and how are the bruins involved i guess i just it's a long way of pointing out that like a bruin just never wins the heart despite <laughs> the fact that the bruins are one of the best teams in the league every year
3: biggest mover here, believe it or not, is Patrick Kane. He was 25 to one two weeks ago. Kane is now 750 at FanDuel. So those odds have been slashed. I mean, we're talking about, you know, more than in half from 25 to one to seven to one, but it's a two horse race and it continues to be that way with, uh, Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews for the heart. So McDavid's now minus money. You got to lay one-fifty to win hundred or 15 to win 10. So it's, it's almost like you missed the market there, you know, I mean, before the year he was obviously plus money Uh, Austin Matthews four to one to win the heart. So it's McDavid, Matthews, Kane, and then everybody else Uh, I saw Marshan was 19 to one at FanDuel. Um, And then Pasternak just, he missed a lot of time, you know, well, maybe not a lot relatively speaking, but he missed some time early in the year. So his numbers aren't as strong as maybe they could have been. So uh, Marshan is the highest odds on the board right now. Uh, for the bees, I surprised the Ovechkin thirty-four to one, but he missed some time too. Pasternak thirty-four to one, and uh, Bergeron also thirty-four to one. So those are the top three as far as the bees go. Do
0: you think the Kane number got slashed because people thought the Blackhawks were going to suck, and they're actually kind of good?
3: I thought they were going to suck too, but I, yeah, I think everyone just,
0: did. Yeah,
3: yeah, and I watched the first couple games they played. I watched more hockey than people realize, and. They were, they were getting worked early, but they've been yeah. able to find some guys like Pius Suter. They plucked them out of nowhere and just, you know, they throw them out there and him and Kane are making magic. Uh, Kane, I believe, also just got his 400th goal. So right. I think, you know, there's some, you know, nostalgia there. But no, I, I think without Patrick Kane, the Blackhawks might be the worst team in the NHL. Like, I would argue, like, he's more valuable to the success, th- the success that they're having than you know mcdavid is with edmonton i mean with you lose mcdavid you still got some shooters there and some scorers you take Kane off the blackhawks oh that'd be that'd be ugly
0: well that was why last year i thought panarin should have won the heart because of how impactful he was with the rangers and like i I guess that's kind of what i'm getting at is like oh no i feel like maybe a lot of specifically with the Kane point like i feel like a lot of people would be reticent to bet on A guy who nobody thinks is even going to make the playoffs because like voters are so prone to like, you know, vote for teams that they think will at least show up in the playoffs because it can occasionally be a bad look if you hypothetically speaking vote for like McDavid and the Oilers miss like they have before but
3: um, yeah we're not really handicapping like who's the best on the ice. We're handicapping how the voters will perceive. Right. <laughs> You're not handicapping something tangible. You're trying to figure out how the voters are going to vote, which is an entirely different wagon.
1: Yeah. Well, there's also like some risk management in there too, right? Like if McDavid gets hurt and if Kane goes on in just an absurd hot streak, that's a public team. If they get into the playoffs, like there's a very clear path to – to Kane winning the heart like a lot of stuff has to break right so to speak but like that is something you don't want to get caught with your pants down either probably so that's probably why the number somewhat adjusted if if I'm if I have a good read on that I don't know oh
3: you're right you're right
1: so I I think I was just gonna say like my other point was like the only way McDavid doesn't win this it's kind of messed up as if he gets hurt right like I mean it's at this point so (laughs) you know you could bet on austin matthews but you're basically betting on Connor mcdavid to get hurt which feels kind of messed up but that's just funny.
0: i do wonder how much it's like voting will be skewed this year too because of the way the divisions are set up because like yeah. you know not a lot of voters unless it's the national guys who are mindful all the time of what's happening around the league like you know i, I can say it even myself i'm more prone to say charlie mcavoy should win the norris because i don't watch victor hedman as much or kale mccarr as much but, like, I wonder how much having an all-Canadian division is slanting some of the odds in favor of Matthews and McDavid.
3: But well, I think it's an interesting point because, as you guys know, I talk to the bookmakers all the time. I, I think the point to take away from that is they're looking at some of the totals and some of these games. Like, these Toronto-Edmonton games are totaled at six and a half. And, like, a lot of them are going over. You know, right. you look at some of the games, they're like, if the – If the Ducks are going to face the Kings, the total is five. And there are, you know, there are very similar teams in a lot of these divisions where like, all right, here are the fast paced teams, like the Capitals and the Flyers in the East. And then when you face the Rangers and the Islanders, the games are two to one. So that happens in every division. But I think the bigger point and the bigger picture is the unknown of comparing all of these elite teams against each other across divisions. Like we haven't seen the bees face the golden Knights. We haven't seen them play Colorado. You know, we won't see them, you know, play some of the the other really good teams in the league. Um, So it's, it's hard to gauge just how elite a team is based on only playing inside a division. And that's the other, you know, elephant in the room. You're trying to make all these numbers and balance the books, but you really haven't seen everybody play each other. So you can't weigh a team from the East against a team from the West to the Central because you haven't seen it. So it's a guessing game for everybody, not only the bookmaker, but the handicapper and the better as well.
1: I was just looking at it. Um, McDavid's got, was it 40 points in 25 games?
3: It's <laughs> insane, one, man. That's that's
1: insane. 1.6 points per game. I did the math in an 82-game season, which I mean, so you'd have to keep up that pace and play all 82 games. You get 131 points. That'd be the most since... Lemieux had 161 and 96, which might have a, might as well have been a completely different sport, but
3: yeah. Um, well, and then you look if he you cross him off, right? Like, let's go to the top of the point leaderboard. If you cross off Connor McDavid at 40, his teammate Leon Dreisaitle's exactly. right behind him at 35. So, you know, Connor McDavid is an amazing, exceptional hockey player, but if we're talking about who's the most valuable. Is McDavid really more valuable than Kane is in Chicago? I I don't think he is, but McDavid is still a better player that is getting more production. So it's it's a it's a very interesting conversation.
0: That's where I land all the time. Is that like are you in the middle or are you out
3: are you trying to figure it out still?
0: Yeah. Well, it's just hard because like the McDavid dry sidle thing, like I got hung up on that last year, that it's like dry sidle was great but whenever he was playing and whenever mcdavid was healthy he was on a line with mcdavid and they had zach cassian having a career year so it's just like like this is very stupid knuckle-dragging hockey fan of me but like i almost have more respect for patrick kane doing what he's doing while playing with two guys off the street um as opposed to you know connor mcdavid with dry sidle but that's a, that's a me problem. Yeah.
3: And then you have Marner and Matthews in Toronto. Right. So, like, everybody, every Batman has a Robin except Kane, who's playing with like the dog they found in the forest last week. Right. You know, it's like totally different.
1: Yeah. Um, I was just going to Yeah. Like, I, it's a, just a dumb, dumb award. Cause like, I just started digging in even farther. Like, I think I can make a, a case for Marshawn like every year is heart. Yeah. Like, I think he is truly, cause he just does so much i was just looking at, like the short-handed time like
0: well right he's become an all situations player now
1: too yeah Connor mcdavid's killed three minutes of power play time this year whereas like marshawn averages like two and a half minutes a night um and yeah but like i wonder but then you start getting, going back to the same ten of the conversation like how much of that credit goes to like you know skating with patrice bergeron so i don't know i that's a discussion for for another day in terms of True value in the NHL. Maybe we should revisit that at some point, but yeah. uh, you know that doesn't. It's not going to win us any bets. So all right. So I
0: want to I want to leave Sam with one question. Yep. So you have a hundred dollars and a gun to your head, and you oh, have. To, I like where we're going here. I've been here before. <laughs> you have to bet on one of the Bruins winning some award. So you've got Marchand at ni- at nineteen to one for the Heart, McAvoy at six to one for the Norse, and Rask for at twenty to one for the Vezina. I guess uh, there's Pasternak at fifteen to one for the Richard, but which bet are you making?
3: I'd probably just take the McAvoy one. Why would you take the shortest odds? It's sort of a cop out. I mean, like, I the problem is like Tuca and Halak are just they're pretty much rotating every night now. Yeah. So Halak has been they, better than
0: Tuca too. Yeah.
3: It's okay. So like, I, I can't bet Tuca. I don't think Marshan's going to win the heart over McDavid or Kane. Yeah. So I. I just buy by design. This was the easiest question, by the way, too. Yeah. Uh, Mike I think seems I think I'd have with me. Cole, how <laughs> I, do I, I not think take it through? How do I not take McAvoy? Cole?
1: <laughs> I mean, what, so I guess the implication if he's got a gun to his head is he's about to die. Like what is he <laughs> supposed to be like Six thousand to one or something? No. Just, <laughs> hey, you never know. Can I just bet money line for Friday night instead? Like I <laughs> you know.
3: You got $100. You got a gun to your head. Are you taking the Boston Bruins or the Wee team in Watertown? Who do you got?
0: <laughs> Don't sleep on
1: my senators. Uh, Sam, thank you for joining us. Right, we're putting up with that again. final
0: question that I'm going to hear about for the rest of yeah. the
1: Yeah. Oh, well, that is what it is. We'll do this again soon. Uh, right, see ya. See ya Sam.